invite you to take your Bibles this evening and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Over the next several weeks in Philippians 4, we're going to go through a chain of three principles. Three principles uh, that all uh, interrelate to one degree or another, though each one stands upon its own two feet as well. And we're beginning the principles this week with a divine answer to anxiety as we see a call to be careful, to be anxious for nothing. And then next week, we're going to see how that, that concept of anxiety or the concept of cares or the concept of filling our minds, that this week, the answer being prayer as we lay things before the Lord in prayer, next week being uh, a, 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 a control or bringing into captivity our mind, then the week after that, living in determined contentment. And all three of these things are going to point toward a manner of, of balance in our lives, of how to go about living our lives in a manner uh, whereby we rightly relate ourselves to the things that are happening around us, our circumstances, whereby we rightly relate ourselves to our thoughts, and whereby we rightly relate ourselves thus to God and to His Word. And this evening we speak of anxiety or being full of cares, the concept of worry. It's a condition that is brought on us from any number of directions and in any number of ways for any number of reasons. One which so many people from all walks of life contend with on a daily basis. Being worrisome, being full of cares, often what we call anxiety, can be debilitating. It can have physical consequences on the body. It can affect one's ability to function mentally, emotionally. The Philippian church was dealing with some measure of division within its ranks, apparent disagreement among themselves. They were murmuring, they were disputing. And if Paul's exhortations, both in chapter 2 unto the mind of Christ and in chapter 3 unto counting all things but loss, is any indication, it's likely that they had become, at, at the least, self-focused. They had lost sight of one another, serving one another, caring for one another. They had lost sight on the goals as it relates to sound doctrine. And they had begun to um, become selfish, become, be, become uh, um, divisive, become self-focused, enfolding into their own ideas, drawing lines in the sand where lines didn't need to be drawn, not listening to one another, not considering one another. And if there's anything in this life that is a sure recipe for fears, anxieties, depressions, frustrations, it is self-focus. It's when we become focused on ourselves. It must be admitted, however, that at least within the scope of my study, I don't exactly know why it is that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul's pen to put down these words within this context. Is this a direct split from the context as we've seen it thus far and is more regular principles? Or is Paul somehow drawing from the concept of the division that was in the church, the murmurings, the disputings? Is Paul somehow drawing from the concept as we would consider it uh, related to counting all things but loss and the warnings against evil workers and dogs and concision to uh, help another layer of the church's difficulties as it related to themselves and one another. But one way or another, we have what we have. The Lord has given it to us, and we thank God that he did, because these verses are essential. 
helpful as it relates to our lives, our emotional state, our capacity to leave things as we need to with the Lord. So today we begin a journey to consider God's answers to a life that is full of care, full of worry, full of anxiety. And as I just mentioned, there are a number of reasons why a person might be full of cares, might suffer from such things. For some, they are anxious because of fears of the unknown. This is one that, that regularly crops up. The future is unknown to us. I don't know what tomorrow will bring. I don't know what next year will bring. And many live under the weight of that fear. Fear of getting sick or of having an accident or uh, of um, concerns for our loved ones. Uh, fear that, that um, things are going to go bad with our investments or with our job or whatever it might be. We don't know that anything is going to happen, but we live in anxiousness over it anyway. For some, they're anxious because of some past problem or some past worry. Because of something that has happened to them before, they live in constant fear that it could happen again. They have been wronged, so they have become a ball of nerves, simply waiting for the next person to wrong them, to betray them, or the next problem to arise. They allow that previous terrible circumstance to dominate their lives even years after the fact. Others still, they're anxious simply because they, they spend far too much time thinking about themselves. Their focus in life revolves around how others see them, and they're constantly worried about how others might perceive them, worried about others that might do better than them, worried about how others might relate themselves to them, constantly focused on how they feel or how they're being treated and with relation to the things that they want in this life or out of this life. They're constantly focused on the things that they want but don't have, and it works up with them anxieties, fears, worries. And the more focused one becomes on oneself, the more things such as anxiety, depression, worry, fear, even anger, have fertile soil to grow within our hearts. In fact, self-focus is very much the soil within which anxiety grows. Now in the world, the sad irony of this concept is that the prescription that the world gives to this problem, to these problems of anxiety and worry, is to learn to love yourself more. The prescription that the world gives to the solution of depression uh, is to learn to love yourself more. And there's an irony to that because if self-focus tends to be the problem, focusing on self is never going to be the solution. As a matter of fact, the world is literally prescribing the very poison that is killing people in an attempt to cure them. So today we dig into Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Next week we'll do 8 and 9, and we'll continue uh, beyond that the week after. And we're going to be learning about how to relate ourselves from a mental or an emotional standpoint to the Lord as it relates to things such as anxiety, as we see this week. We could also extend this thus to depression, to fears, to uh, other types of worries, even to anger. And the answer that we're going to find this evening, as you can see there in our title, is the answer of prayer. So verse 6 tells us this. Be careful for nothing, 
But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Paul makes a command here, be careful for nothing. This word careful literally means to be full of cares. Now, when we say be careful to someone, we're talking about them taking care over an action that they're, that, that they're, they're engaged in, right? If I tell my children, uh, would you please take this water cup over to the sink and please be careful, I'm asking them to be, be cognizant of what they're doing so that they don't drop the cup and it breaks and it gets all over the floor and then we have glass to clean up and whatever else the case may be, right? So we typically use this word careful in that manner. But the word in, at, at its root is to be full of cares, right? To be full of thoughts, to be full of worries, to be full of concerns, It speaks to things that command my mind and my attention, things which fill my thoughts. These are things uh, in this context which so fill our minds that uh, it distracts us from the rest of life. Now, it's not a bad thing to allow things to fill our minds, nor is it a bad thing thus to be full of cares. But when we allow those cares to override our emotional stability, our contentment, our peace, our comfort, our uh, focus, when we allow it to override other things in our lives, when I am so careful about things that I'm unable to sleep at night and get the rest I need, when I am so careful about things, things so dominate my thoughts that it affects my mood and my outlook on life, when it, it begins to make me a pessimist, when it, when, when it shades every interaction that I have, when it's causing me to, to uh, um, get, get upset and lose my temper at my children, when I am so full of cares that I cannot function in, in other necessary ways, when I lose my appetite, when it affects my relationships with others, at that point, I have become so full of cares that it has overridden the normal and necessary functions of life, and I am now in a place that is imbalanced. This word, careful, is the same word that Jesus used to describe Martha in Luke 10. When she was upset, she was busy serving, right? And Jesus had, had come to their house. Martha was busy, encumbered about with much serving. And Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Mary was upset at the, or Martha, excuse me, was upset at this. And Martha asked Jesus to rebuke Mary and to make her help. And Jesus replied to her in verse 41 and said, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. That's our word, careful. You're full of cares, and it has brought trouble into your heart. You have become angry and resentful at your sister. You are encumbered about serving when Mary has chosen the better part, which is to sit at the feet of Jesus. It's the same word that Paul used in 1 Corinthians 7 when he exhorts that as many men as can should not marry. And the reason why he tells these men uh, for that present distress, he gives that specific distress that they were in, as a time not to marry, as he says, because those who are unmarried have more time to care for the things of the Lord, to be full of the cares of the Lord. And those who are married have to spend more time caring for their wife, being full of the cares of their wife, how they can please their wife, and the wife, how she can please her husband. It's the same word used there. So this idea of being careful is not necessarily a negative thing, right? It's important that I care for the needs of my wife. It's important that my wife cares for the needs of her husband. It's important to have an attentiveness to these things. But when those cares override other necessities, right? And that's exactly what Paul was saying. 
that this natural carefulness that comes from having a wife or a husband is overriding the capacity for you to have the fullest of carefulness for the things of the Lord. Because I have to also minister to my spouse. Now, as we consider this concept, we must thus understand that used in a more general way, being full of cares is not in and of itself evil. I should care about my wife. I should care about my children. I should care about making sure that I provide for them. I should care uh, about making sure that the things that I own are well, are well maintained and, and that I'm a good steward of them. The things over which I am responsible for should be on my mind. I ought to care about them. But the problem is when these cares and these concerns command an undue level of priority in my life or when their place in life begins to overwhelm my ability to think and function in other natural and necessary ways, when the concerns of life get beyond their proper place or go beyond my ability to meaningfully affect their outcome, when carefulness becomes worry about things over which I have no control, when carefulness, like in Martha's case, caused her to miss out on that which was more important in order to address matters which were less important. And this is the context of Paul's exhortation here. He does not call upon us to walk through life without any cares in the world, without any uh, cognizance of our own responsibilities in life. He does not call upon us to so effectively detach ourselves from reality that the things of life have no functional effect on my priorities or my emotions. We have a name for people like that, and it's not a, a, a positive thing. We call those people that are so, ab so effectively able to detach themselves from the world around them that, that it has no bearing on their emotions. We call those people sociopaths, right? Because they literally live without any regard for, for the things that are around them. But the call is that we keep the things of this world in their proper place. We give them the amount of weight that is due unto them within the scope of God's design and system. But we're also and always deeply careful to see that within the broader context of the sovereignty of God and his will, that we are entrusting these things to him. And we have an ever-present realization that the things of this world are only temporal. They're only fleeting. They're all going to burn up anyway. They don't need to command our, 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 our worry and our thoughts and our, our, our priorities to the extent that they override or overcome our peace. Because it's all just stuff. It's all just temporal. It's all fleeting. And the call to maintain this perspective is rooted in a direct command here. That in every event and circumstance, we would bring our requests to the Lord. In this direct command is a very admission. As humans, we're going to have concerns. As humans, unless you are before said sociopath, the things of this life are going to have a bearing on you, right? The way that you relate yourself to others, relationships, it's going to affect you. The things that matter to you, they're going to affect you your capacity to provide for your family, your capacity to meet your own needs. These things are going to affect you. So within the call here, that within the command to let our requests be made known to the Lord is an admission that you are going to have requests, right? 
there are going to be cares. There are going to be concerns. There are going to be things that weigh upon your heart. You should never feel bad that things weigh upon your heart. Some of the things you simply can't control. When my children are sick, I don't sleep well. I wish I could, but I, I just can't. That's something that's deep-seated within me because I love my children and I'm concerned for them. It's understandable. Now, that's something, though, that though I have this concern, must be kept in balance and can get out of balance, can't it? To where I'm so fearful for my children, I'm so fearful for their concerns, that now I have gone beyond just the, the, the natural or, or the understandable and have taken my fears and concerns to an unhealthy, unnatural level. And this is where the call comes in. Let your requests be made known unto God. Paul is not calling us to pretend as though we don't have problems or fears or worries or concerns in this life. Rather, he's calling upon us to deal with them in a manner that will release our minds and hearts from their burdens and operate within the scope of the circumstances at hand in a manner that is unbound by the anxieties and fears which would naturally seek to be imposed upon my heart and upon my mind. To sum it up shortly and plainly, the call is that we take our concerns and our worries and our fears, we lay them at Christ's feet, and we leave them there. In everything, he says, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Take these to the Lord, pray to Him, ask Him for your needs, prayer for your concerns, tell Him your worries, tell Him your fears, tell Him those things that are on your heart. And then this is a very important part of it. Leave them there. You're worried about your finances. Do your due diligence, frugality and faithfulness, commend your provision to God, and leave your problems with Him. You're worried about your health. Do your due diligence, diet and exercise, commend your health to God, and leave your problem with Him. The same can be said for every and any context of life. We've been studying this as it relates to David in the Psalms, haven't we, on Tuesday nights? His enemies were all around him, seeking his life, seeking his destruction. And he did his due diligence. He brought before the Lord his well-being. He commended it to the hand of God and then joyfully left his cares there. So that David would say in Psalm 4, verse 8, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me to dwell in safety. David understood that he'd done his part, and the rest was up to God. And once I've done my part, if the rest is up to God, then I will lay down in peace and sleep. Because, see, God can handle it. David had concerns. He voiced his concerns to the Lord. He, he, he brought them to God, and then he left them there. And so too should we. I don't know what fears you have, what difficulties you're going through. I know my own, and I know as well as you do that these things are not easy to deal with. I know the fears and the anxieties and the frustrations in my heart, as I've said, when my children are sick or injured, how hard it is to yield those fears over to God's sovereign hand. 
I know the frustration of when I have huge expenses that seem well beyond my capacity to afford, but are necessary nonetheless, and how hard it is to turn those concerns over to a sovereign God. I know how hard it is to be dealing with the frustration of feeling powerless over a circumstance and looking at that circumstance and doing my best, not knowing whether my best is going to be enough, and then knowing that, that what I need to do is yield it over to the Lord. But turning these things over to God isn't difficult because it has to be difficult. It's difficult because I struggle with trust, right? It's not difficult because God is not capable of handling my circumstances. It's not difficult because God has not shown himself strong and that God has not shown himself powerful. It's not difficult because God's hand or arm lacks in any way in capability to do for me what I need him to do. It's, it's, it's difficult because I struggle to leave it with him. I struggle to not take that worry, take that fear back, to try to bring it back into my own consciousness, to, to turn it back over in my mind. It's difficult because we humans have a hard time releasing control, don't we? It's difficult because I desire to maintain some feeling of control over the situation. It's difficult because my heart may even tell me that if I'm not worried, if I'm not anxious, if I'm not fearful, if I'm not frustrated, if I'm not debilitated by some circumstance, then there must be something wrong with me, that, that my anxiety is actually a mark of how much I care. And if I don't have that anxiety, if I don't have that fear, if I'm not kept up at night, if I'm not angry about said situation, that must mean I don't care. That if I yield it to the Lord and go about my day, somehow that means the problem is not important to me. And we know that that's not true. But our heart can try to deceive us into thinking that. I deal with this at the jail all the time whether it be with anxieties, whether it be with anger, whether it be with forgiveness. People rest under guilt and they say, if I go along with my day as if this thing doesn't bother me, if I go along, if, 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 if I sin and I recognize my sin and I confess it to the Lord and I move on and I, and I, I, I you know, the just man falls seven times but rise again. If I rise again, that must mean I don't really care about my sin. If I get up and, and move on to joy with my day having confessed my sin, I have to uh, go through some measure of penance or else, or else I must not care. We do this all the time in our lives. We, we, we convince ourselves that, that if, if we live in joy in a bad circumstance, if we're able to sleep when things are, are falling apart around us, if, if somehow we're, we're not living as a ball of nerves or angry or frustrated because of a circumstance, if someone wrongs me and I don't get angry, uh, our heart tries to tell us that must mean you don't care. That's not true. Maybe it means you're trusting the Lord. Maybe it means you've placed it in his hands. So the call is not to detach ourselves from feeling the cares and the burdens of this life and the things that are sent our way. The call rather is that when we are pressed by those cares and those burdens, that we take these cares and these burdens and instead of carrying them ourselves, we deliberately lay them at the feet of the sovereign and loving God to dispose of at his will and we leave them there and we walk away. 
And it's not that we don't still have an investment in the solution, that we don't still have an investment in the outcome, but it is that we have done everything that we can do on our end and the rest is left to God to dispose of the outcome as he sees fit. That by prayer and supplication in a spirit of thanksgiving, I will make my request be made known unto God. And the point of telling God these things is not only that he is an ear to hear, but much more than that, the point of telling God these things is that he is an arm to help. By taking these things to the Lord, by making my request be made known unto him, and by leaving these things with him, I am doing so in a spirit of recognizing that God is far more capable than I am of dealing with my circumstances. And I'm not going to be lazy and I'm not just going to say, well, God, see, I've got this bill to pay and, and you're going to provide, so uh, provide, please. And then I sit on the couch and eat potato chips, right? Lord, I'm doing my due diligence. I am seeking unto you. I am being faithful. I am looking for those opportunities and the rest is in your hands. Right, And this is akin to what, our, what children do with their parents all the time. They have a concern, which in the scope of adult concerns is quite small, but within the scope of their world, within the context of their world, is quite large. And they, in their fears and their sadness and their frustration, come to dad with their concern. And daddy listens to them. Maybe all they need is to be heard. They voice their concern. Daddy has heard their concern. They feel better now and they can go along their way. Or maybe it is that daddy just needs to kiss a wound. And they come and they say, daddy. And I kiss their finger and they get a smile on their face and they go along their merry way. But there are other times where they come to daddy with these concerns, which are plenty valid. And they need solutions and they've done their part, and they've done everything they can do, and the rest is, is, is out of their hands. They don't have any more power to do anything more with the situation. And so they come to Daddy, and Daddy hears them, and Daddy says, I'll take care of it. And my child is then able to go gladly about their day knowing that Daddy knows their concern and will take care of this item at hand. And because they trust their father, and they know that their father is capable, they don't need to become a ball of worry. They don't go sit in the corner and rock back and forth until daddy solves the problem for them, do they? they? Daddy hears their concern and they walk away as if they have not a care in the world because daddy has heard their concern and they know daddy knows and daddy will do what's best and daddy will take care of it. Say, well, yes, pastor, but that illustration doesn't really compute. It doesn't, it doesn't really hold up. These are small concerns. These are small children. I have, I have real problems, Pastor. Well, you know, kids have real problems, too. Problems which are completely in line with their season of life. Your problems are in line with your season of life. Their problems are in line with their season of life. And just as a child will go to his parents with what is to their parents a small problem, knowing that their parents are much bigger than their small problems and can solve their small problems, so too we can go to God with what to us seems like huge problems, but again, to God is within his context a very small problem. And he is certainly capable of dealing with our problems, just as we are certainly capable of dealing with our children's problems. 
If only we'll have the faithfulness to obey. It really is, is a, a, a perfect illustration of a child going to his father and his father saying, wow, those are your problems? I can handle that. And us going to our heavenly father and saying, father, these are really big problems. These are, these are problems that I can't handle. These are beyond the scope of my ability. And daddy's saying, okay, I'll take care of it. Now here's the thing. My children don't always know how I'm going to take care of it. And they may have in their mind, they come up to daddy and say, daddy, so-and-so took a toy from me. I'll take care of it. And in their mind, that means, aha, I'm getting this back. And I go up to so-and-so, and so-and-so -and -so says, well, it's not quite that way. What actually happened is they set down a toy and they were playing with another toy and I came into the room and the toy was there on the floor and I started playing with the toy and they wanted it back. Okay, well now daddy may not handle the situation the way you, the child, petitioned me to handle it or the way they thought I'd handle it. I'm handling it, not in the way they expected. So too, we can do the same, can't we? We can come to God with our needs and say, God, I need this. I have a financial worry. I have a health burden. I have a fill in the blank. I need help with my children. I need help with my church. I need help with my relationship. And then we walk away and we say, I've left it with God. But what we've actually done is left with God an expectation of how we think he's going to solve our problem. And then when the problem is not solved the way we think it should be solved, we say, God, what, what happened? When in fact, God did take care of it. Just not in the way we were expecting. So the call is for us to faithfully bring our requests to the Lord, to leave them with Him, and to let the Lord deal with these things. Faithfully obey God, and then trust Him to deal with the concerns in His way, not our way. And these things are kind of the rub, aren't they? I mess up my own life and I go to God and I say, God, fix this. And by the way, I'm not going to change. I'm not going to be diligent. I'm not going to obey. Just fix it for me. Well, it doesn't work that way, does it? If I don't do my part, if I'm not walking in obedience to God, if I'm not being diligent, if I'm not being faithful with that which God has given me to do, I'm not going to be able to expect that God is going to come in and fix it all for me. If I am expecting God to do things my way and I come to God with demands about how it is I want him to fix it, well, that's not how God works. He's not, he doesn't work on my timetable. He doesn't work under, under the expectation of my demands any more than a child coming up to me and saying, Daddy, I don't like this. Change this. Well, that's not how this relationship works. You can come up to me and tell me that you're dissatisfied and I can then decide what is best for you and for the family but you don't come up and tell me what to change. That's not how this works. I live in cripple, crippling fear or crippling anxiety, and I tell God about these, but I don't entrust them to him. I tell him, but I don't hand them over to him. I should not wonder when my anxieties are still there and they still afflict me because I'm still shouldering the burden of these things. I've told God, but I'm not trusting God. That's not how that works. The call is to be faithful. The call is to be obedient to that which God has given me to do, to take care of my body, to be responsible with my finances, to be faithful, to love and discipline my children, to work hard, to take initiative, to be honest, to have integrity, and then to whatever degree the cares of this life still weigh upon my spirit. 
I gladly take these to the Lord. I thank him for his faithfulness. I yield my burdens for, to God for him to bear, knowing that I have obeyed God's word and joyfully letting God make up the difference in my life and circumstances. That's the design here. That's the call. And this is the recipe for peace and contentment and joy. And within this manner of living, within this expectation, within obedience to this command, comes a promise, verse 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The promise is that when at once I thankfully leave my requests with the Lord, trusting Him with my life and circumstances, that God will divinely replace the anxiety that I have felt over a particular circumstance with the peace of God. An abiding confidence in God's capacity and willingness to take my burdens upon himself and deal with them according to his good pleasure. Not to work them out in the way that I see fit or the way I think it should work out, but rather allowing God to take them and work them out in the manner which he seems which he deems best. And this is faith. And you know what's funny about this? We've all experienced this peace of God, but we don't experience this peace of God. We have all experienced this peace of God. We just don't experience this peace of God. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Have you ever been in a situation that is so far beyond your control that you have no choice but just to leave it with the Lord? My son cracked his head open a few months ago. We're going in for the CT scan. And throughout that whole situation, it is so far beyond my control. Lord, it's yours. We're driving to the hospital. I have to be there because um, Sarah's pregnant, so she can't be in there during the, the scan. And they, need, they want someone to comfort Jedediah while he's being scanned. And he's got things poking out of him. And uh, it's just not a good situation. And we're driving there and explaining to my children, the Lord is in control and the Lord's will be done. And there's no concern, no fear, no anxiety in my heart. Obviously, I care for my son, but there was a divine peace that overshadowed that circumstance. And that, that's because I had, I had no other option on the table but to trust the Lord. But you know, the day-to-day -day stuff, that that day-to-day -day looking at your bank account, that day-to-day -day dealing with relationships, that day-to-day, -day, that, that, that little rash that's on, on, on the child that crops up and, and you say, well, we'll keep an eye on that and then you go to bed. Those tend to be the things, aren't they? That, that really nag at you, that eat away at you. The big stuff, I, 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 would, I would be willing to, to, uh, I, to be fairly confident in saying that the majority of us have experienced the peace of God which passeth all understanding, especially in the big times, in the times where we are uh, forced into faith. And we default to that faith and we fall back on that faith as a Christian does and we recognize that peace of God. But it's those small little nibbles at <laughs> you in the, 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 the tedious and the normal things of life that begin to just build over time. Those are the ones that because we interact with them on a daily basis, we have a harder time yielding those to the Lord. We have a harder time acknowledging God's plan within it. We have a harder time yielding to God to work those things out according to his will and not try to constantly be taking those things back from him, constantly be tweaking the system and manipulating the system to bring about better results 
through my own ingenuity, through my own uh, cleverness, through my own decision-making, through my own self-effort. That's where things get hard. But you've experienced that peace of God. And if you've experienced that peace of God, imagine that same peace in that time of great crisis when you felt this peace and you didn't understand why and you weren't falling apart and you were doing well. Imagine that in all those little things. See, because it, it's, it's the same promise. We've just got to approach it the same way. When at once I exercise such faith, God will, the scriptures tell us, take our cares and replace those cares with his peace. A peace which often makes no sense in light of the circumstances at hand. A peace which is not normal. A peace which others would look at and say, how can he be so calm? How can he be okay with this? But which is real and present nonetheless. Which will keep that word literally meaning to guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Both the emotional and the rational parts of your being being kept, being guarded. Word used in the scriptures to, to describe uh, a guard, one who is protecting or watching over another. God will watch over your heart and your mind with his peace as we yield our requests, as we let our requests be known unto God and we yield our concerns to him. And it is just as possible in all of those little things that build up as it is in that big time. That peace of God that you felt that you did not understand but that you were so thankful for, it can be yours in every circumstance of fear, of worry, of concern, of anxiety. If only you will follow the same formula. If only you will see that little circumstance as just as far outside of the realm of your necessity to control as the big stuff. Now again, you do your due diligence. I'm, I'm feeling this peace of God as we are driving to the hospital, right? I'm not sitting at home saying, he needs a CT scan, staring at my son, right? We're, we're getting him to the hospital. We are doing what the Lord is, what, 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 what we can do to take care of our son. And the peace of God is, deal, is doing the rest. You do your due diligence. You do your part. You're faithful. You're obedient. You have integrity. You have work ethic. You do your part and you leave the rest to God. It can be ours, Christian. It can be ours. But only as we yield these burdens to him. And this is an exercise in faith and it is an exercise in humility. It's a determination to take those things which are beyond our control or to take those things that we would be tempted to allow to eat at us, to consume our mind, to constantly uh, um, um, eat away at our peace and at our thinking, and to lay them at the feet of the God who has all things under his power. It is a determination to take those things which matter most to you and trust God to deal with them in a manner that he deems best. It's a concept which is echoed by the exhortation of Peter to the believing Jews scattered throughout the empire of Rome. We talked about them this morning. They were under a great deal of persecution. And Peter writes to them, we talked about 1 Peter 3 this morning. In 1 Peter 5, he says this to them in verses 6 and 7. Humble yourself, oh, whoops, I'm one ahead here, aren't I? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. 
And this is the call, that in humility we would place our cares under the mighty hand of God, allowing God to bring about whatever he deems best within that situation. And take particular note of this. I've mentioned it a couple of times. We don't lay our requests at God's feet and say, now God, I've already thought about a solution. So here's my problem and here's the solution. Go make that solution happen. God doesn't need our help. Doesn't work that way. When Peter was writing these words, as we spoke of this morning, he was writing to believers who were under tremendous persecution. And as he called for the church to cast their cares upon him, it was a call both to live free from the emotional fears and the physical burdens of persecution and to trust the outcomes of their lives and situations to God. Christian, you're living under persecution as they were scattered throughout the empire. You are in circumstances whereby people are speaking evil of you as of evildoers because of your good conversation in Christ. You are fearful for your life. You are having to meet in, in uh, uh, cloistered situations where people don't know you're meeting. You are, you are, you are doing things that, that, that would, would, would put you at the wrong, on, under the wrong side of the law, that would put your families at risk, that would put your own life at risk. And what was the call? Humble yourself before the Lord, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. Notice what Peter then continues to say in verses 8 through 11. Be sober. Be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion walking, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions, there's that suffering, are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. You're not alone in this. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We cast our cares upon the Lord and we do so for two reasons. First, because Satan is always active and busy looking for ways to destroy us. And Christian, if you have anxieties, if you have things that you're hanging on to so tight and you will not give up and you're not trusting the Lord and you're trying to manipulate the situation to your own success, Satan looks at that and he says, that is my playground. That is the place where I can beat you up. He can just use us like a punching bag. Bringing all sorts of thoughts and anger and concerns and frustrations into our mind, causing us to be estranged from relationships and, and using that as a wedge to further and further and further divide us from the body of Christ, further divide us from our loved ones, further divide us from comfort and care, further divide us from sound doctrine. So we resist the devil steadfast in the faith. And notice this is a call that comes after the call to cast our cares upon God. Because we are not ignorant of, of Satan's devices. And he is as a roaring lion looking for those people who are not casting their cares, who are living in those worries and those anxieties and those fears that he may destroy them. And second, because God's calling upon us is meant for our good. Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in, the grace, in, in, in grace, knowing that the same afflictions that are in you are in your, uh, are, are in your brethren which are in the world, accomplished in your brethren in the world. But the God of all grace, after you have suffered a little while, 
make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. That's not what they want to hear, is it? I don't want to hear, you know what, after you've suffered for a little while, then you'll see the results. I want to hear God give me results. God, take away the problem. God, work through this. God, fix my health. God, fix my finances. God, fix these things. God, make it work. And yet Peter says, cast all your cares upon him for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary the devil walks around his roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Know that you're not alone in this. Know that other people are suffering too. Know that other people have problems too. But the God of all grace will establish you, make you perfect, will strengthen you and settle you after you've suffered a little while. And you know what? That's okay because to God be the glory and the dominion forever. Because God knows what's best for you. Every time my child's in trouble and he's feeling the anxiety of a, of a moment of, of, of trouble, I don't necessarily rush in and, 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 and fix it right away. My child is crawling on the floor and they try to crawl over a rung of the chair instead of under a rung and they get them, they bottom out, right? They get themselves stuck on that rung and they're, they're squealing and they're, they're, and, and they're stuck and they're flailing all over the place. Ah! I'm not necessarily going to go right over to my child and, and take them off. You look at the child and you say, okay, now it's time for you to struggle a little bit. Now it's time for you to try to figure this out a little bit. You got yourself into it, so get yourself out of it, right? And daddy's there. And if they start to get, if they, if, if they can't figure it out, daddy's going to help them. Daddy's going to give them a boost or daddy's going to take them off the rung. But it may be after a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of trouble, a little bit of struggle, because I want them to be better. And this is the call that Peter gave. Cast your cares upon the Lord. The Lord will take care of you. Unto him, his is the power, unto his is the dominion. After you've suffered for a little while, the Lord will perfect you. And this is the peace that guards the hearts and the minds of the faithful, if only we will do it his way. There is perhaps one of the best and most clear illustrations of this concept found in Jesus' own teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. Here we, Jesus takes this very concept, which we've studied this evening, and he places it within the context of some of the most important things in life. What will you eat? What will you drink? How will you be clothed? And Jesus uses the same word that we found in verse 6. Be careful. This word careful. Several times. And you'll see it. as I'll highlight it as we read. To speak of the natural tendency we have to be anxious over things. And then will remind us of why it is so unnecessary and counterproductive to allow our hearts to be drawn into such anxieties and fears. So Jesus said in Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. There's our word careful. Don't be careful for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, there's our word, which of you by being careful, which of you by being anxious, which of you by worrying, which of you by tossing it over in your mind again and again and again and again, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature. 
And why take ye thought? There's our word again. Why be so careful? Why take ye thought? Why allow this to command your thoughts? For raiment, for clothing. Consider, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought. There it is. Don't be careful. Don't allow these things to dominate your mind, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought. There's our word again. Don't be careful. Don't be full of cares. Don't allow this to consume your mind for the morrow, for the things of tomorrow. For the morrow shall take thought, shall be careful. The cares of tomorrow will be the cares of tomorrow for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Six times Jesus used this word careful, exhorting us not to allow even our basic needs to overwhelm our hearts and consume our thoughts and our priorities because we have a God in heaven who is both capable and willing to meet the needs of his children as we are obedient to his principles of integrity, of work ethic, of faithfulness with our bodies and our minds of obedience. And as we trust God then to bring about in our lives the circumstances which are best. Do you see how this works? And it works through prayer. Now, I don't know all of the anxieties that may rest upon your heart and mind. Maybe it's material concerns, food, clothing, shelter. Maybe it's physical concerns, health, wellness. Maybe it's relationship concerns. Maybe it's emotional concerns. Maybe it's some event in the past that still plagues your mind and heart. Maybe it's some fear about the future. We live in a very dark time. We live in a very difficult time. Uh, we live in a time, I don't, I don't know what world my children are going to step into as adults. What is the world going to look like in another decade? What kind of world are they going to inherit? What is going to be asked of them? I don't know. God does. I could, I could fret about it. I could worry about it. As a matter of fact, statistics say that people are. The birth rate is falling negative. People are not willing to have children because they don't want to bring children into this world. This has happened at several other times in history around crucial points. You saw it, it happened during, uh, um, in Roman history where there was a time where people no longer were having children because there was so little faith in the system that undergirded their lives. We're seeing it again. We're seeing it in this time. That's a good indicator that there are problems when people aren't having children. But we can't allow these fears to dominate our hearts. The fears and anxieties in this world are limitless in scope. There's always something to worry about, isn't there? It's amazing. We live in one of the most well-provided-for cultures in all of, of, of history. I don't wake up in the morning wondering where my next meal is going to come from. I read about a famine or a drought in, in some place where, where a tremendous amount of food is produced, and I say, oh, might have to spend an extra buck or two at the grocery store. And that's, that's about it for my concerns over that. Uh, I don't have to, I, I, I don't hear hail and wonder if the entire crop's going to be destroyed and my livelihood's gone. Now, some people do. But we live in a time 
that is unique for the amount of infrastructure we have in place to take care of problems. And yet, the anxieties aren't any less, are they? As a matter of fact, anxiety is through the roof. Fears and anxieties are limitless in scope, Christian. We're never going to get rid of them. But here's the thing. We serve a God who is limitless in power, who has offered to carry our burdens, who desires to carry our burdens, who has commanded us to cast our cares upon him, who has commanded us to be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving to let our requests be made known unto God who has said, don't worry about it, just leave it with me and I'll take care of it. And if we will but cast those cares upon the one who cares for us, not with an expectation of having things done your way, but faithfully trusting that the God who loves you will do things his way and that will be what is best for you, you can rest assured that what will come in the place of all of those cares and concerns is the peace of God. And we do this by talking to God. In thanksgiving, through prayer and supplication, letting our requests be made known unto him. And then watching as God replaces those fears and those concerns with peace. And watching as he guards my heart and my mind from the condemnations and confusions of the devil. And watching as he brings about both in my life and through my life his provision and his best for me. And it may be that I have to suffer a little while, but he will perfect me. He will establish me. He will strengthen me. I don't do these things in order that God will make me healthy and wealthy and wise, but in order that I will be established and perfected for his glory and for my best good. So the question is, what do you need to set at his feet this evening? What are the cares? What are the concerns? What are the worries? What are the anxieties? What are the fears that you've been hanging on to and they've been causing you uh, sleepless nights? and they've been causing you frustrations, and they've been causing you any number of perhaps even physical manifestations in your life, what are they, and what can you do about it? Will you lay these things before the Lord? Will you leave them there? Will you allow him to take those burdens and replace those burdens with the peace of God, or will you continue to hang on to them? Maybe you'll bring them to him, and then you'll pick them up when you leave and take them right back out with you. It's not going to work. Maybe you'll say, well, God... I, I want to leave it with you. Just do this. Fix it this way. Make, make it work out in this manner. It's not going to work. But do you have the faith to say, Daddy, I've got a problem. And when Daddy says, I'll take care of it, to say, okay, thank you. And to move on. And to be faithful and obedient and leave the rest to your Father. Let's make tonight the night where we yield those burdens to the Lord. Where we leave them there, trusting God to do what is best, best both in me and through me. Thank you for listening to Pastor Jamin Wickler from Legacy Baptist Church in Buffalo, Minnesota. More information about Legacy Baptist Church and a library of sermons are available at www.legacybaptistchurch.net.